You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Preventative medicine is not a new practice. In its early manifestations, African villagers used smoke signals to warn people to stay away from the village in case of serious disease. Now, thanks to modern communication technology, unbelievable opportunities exist in preventative care. Today, we will explore telemedicine's role in preventing cardiovascular disease in underserved populations. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Dr. Alfred Beauvais, Vice President of the American College of Cardiology and Chief of the Division of Cardiology at Temple University School of Medicine. We are also joined by Dr. Bill Santamore, Director of the Telemedicine Research Center at Temple University and a Professor of Medicine and Physiology. Welcome to the show, doctors. Uh, thank you for uh, inviting us to uh, speak about our projects. Can you both tell me a little bit about the studies you recently completed in cardiovascular risk reduction? This is Dr. Santamore. Uh, yes, we have just completed a, a large study where we recruited 465 patients and they were randomized to either telemedicine or control. This study was funded, by the way, from, by the uh, Commonwealth of Pennsylvania from the Tobacco Settlement Funds. The study is being conducted at two large centers, Temple University and North Philadelphia area. So it's mostly primarily inner city, African-American population. And the other center is Geisinger Medical Center in Danville, PA, which is in the middle, roughly in the middle of the state of Pennsylvania. And it has almost exclusively a Caucasian population and rural. We followed patients for one year in either arm of the study, and we're now beginning to look at the analysis of the uh, results. Dr. Beauvais, anything you'd like to add to that? The challenges that we, that we saw in this project were, first of all, to deal with a population of individuals who were at increased risk for cardiovascular disease, and we used the Framingham risk score as a, as a measure. People who were not used to the Internet and were not computer literate, and uh, one of our first challenges was to, was to test whether we could get these individuals to use computers. And in fact, after a very short training period for everybody, that is a couple of hours, we found uh, over 97 or 98 percent of the people who were recruited for the study were, were able to use computers, not having seen one in the past. So that did not become an impediment to using um, uh, the Internet for communication in this project. How were you able to get them access? We took several approaches. First of all, in the rural population, the, uh, about 85% of people had home computers. In the inner city population, about 50% had home computers. We found, particularly in the inner city African-American communities, that the churches, are, <clears throat> the churches in those communities are very important community centers. And so we, we met with church officials at several of the churches around our area and actually paid for uh, computers and uh, high-speed connections where needed in the churches and provided all the individuals in the study locations of church community centers and other community centers and libraries where they could go to report their data on the Internet. We gave them small logbooks that they could record information at home and found about an 80%, uh, above about 80 to 85% compliance rate uh, under those circumstances, with only about half the patients having computers at home in the inner city. So what other features of this study do you find unique? A couple things that we did that were unique is, first, as Fred mentioned, being able to connect a number of people with very low income in the Philadelphia area, 55% of our subjects had incomes less than $15,000 a year, to the Internet successfully was one unique feature. We also used an overall cardiovascular risk assessment. Uh, we used the Framingham model that predicts a 10-year uh, uh, risk of cardiovascular disease. So we're just not taking patients with hypertension. We're taking people with hypertension, diabetes, smokers, and individuals with uh, dyslipidemia. The other thing, again, is that we had a very large study. This is one of the larger 
studies out there in telemedicine right now, and that we had two very diverse locations. So you mentioned earlier that you were able to get about 97% of the people connected. How often would they follow up on their connections? We just finished the study, so the analysis I'm going to talk about is with the analysis that we did for the people that finished eight months of their study. For the group that finished eight months in the telemedicine arm, we had a 92% utilization rate overall. The, the, the utilization rate out in the Geising area was almost 100%. It was about 80-something percent in the Philadelphia area, so the combined total is about 92% utilization. Of that, when we looked at how often they monitored their blood pressure and their weight and their steps, physical activity, we gave them pedometers to measure the number of steps they took per day we had a utilization rate of about 2.3 monitoring uh, times a week over that eight-month time frame. So this was much, much higher than I anticipated. I only really anticipated maybe 50% of the, the individuals using the system, and this is a much higher utilization rate than I would have uh, expected. You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill, and I am with Dr. Alfred Beauvais, Vice President of the American College of Cardiology, as well as Dr. Bill Santamore, Director of Telemedicine Research at Temple University. We are discussing uh, recent studies done to decrease the risk of cardiovascular disease using telemedicine approaches. Doctors, what benefits came out of this study for both uh, patients? and or clients. This is Dr. Bobet. Let me speak on some general terms, and I'll let Dr. Santamore uh, provide some of the details. First of all, we, we were able to get a large number of the patients, over 90%, engaged in the process. And I will say many of the patients reported as volunteers to the study because they wanted to learn something about computers and the Internet. So I think some of the, the less specific advantages were, number one, people became computer literate, and that was one of the patient's goals so that they achieved that. They began uh, to understand their risk factors because we instructed them on what risk factors were and what, uh, what their individual risk factors were, and they could see the data through the Internet tools that they had available so that they could watch the risk factors improving or not improving and get motivated to, uh, to, to work on improving them. So I think overall the patients received uh, some empowerment, some understanding of their, their cardiac status and their risk status, and also some access and education about computer uh, communications. So were they able to actually see something online, a visual representation of their symptoms or their risk factors actually improving? Yes, we, we actually had a, a graphic display of their blood pressure uh, over time and their weight over time and their body mass index over time, their exercise measured in steps per day. So they could bring up a graph on the screen to watch, for example, their body mass index over time if they were gaining or losing weight. There was a lot of visual feedback, not just numerically, but graphically, so they could watch how their progress was going over this year of the study. The same information, of course, went to the practitioner, so they could also see the graphic data. Yeah, I have found that any time you involve the patient in his care and he chooses to be involved, dramatic things happen. Dr. Santamore, were there any other benefits you saw from the study? On the telemedicine group, and the telemedicine group, what we're beginning to see is that the, the, the areas where they self-monitor and where daily self-monitoring makes a difference, we're beginning to see bigger changes in those groups. So they had better control of their blood pressure and better control of their blood glucose. So obviously those benefits would translate to the healthcare provider whose job becomes easier to help manage these patients that were probably not very compliant prior to this study. Did either of you see any of those benefits to the docs? Well, I'll tell you how, the, uh, how we, we evolved the process. We had invited all the physicians involved with these patients 
to receive a, a password, log on to the system, and watch what their patients were doing. Uh, we had no takers in that uh, offer. No physicians felt that they had the time to log on and see their patient information. So we created a, a one-page report uh, that contained the information on the most frequent vital signs and risk factor measurements. In addition, on that same page, we put the standards and guidelines from um, from either national or, or well national standards from one plate, one of the sources, for example, for blood pressure, lipid goals, and so on. So the patients received a report and the physician received the same report that identified the current status of that patient's risks and the goals that should be achieved. And we found. Number one, the patients appreciated that because not only did they know their numbers, they, they knew what the goals of those numbers should be, and, and they could take that to their physician and discuss a care plan to start to achieve uh, the goals that you would like to achieve for HDL, LDL, systolic, diastolic blood pressure, and so on. So what do you both see as the impact in the future for deploying remote patient monitoring? Well, let me say a word or two about that. I, I've I've been uh, using the same system for my, my practice. I have uh, about 45 patients that are interested in using a communication. This is not a research study now. It's just an ongoing uh, additional tool. Many of the patients appreciate the opportunity to, to be able to communicate without having to come to the office, wait, get seen in, a, in the office setting. Basically, a lot, of, a lot of people are too busy. They don't want to spend a half a day traveling back and forth waiting for their visit and so on. So a number of the patients appreciate the opportunity to, to maintain communication without having to physically be present. And I think that's been a, an advantage I see in a number of uh, patients, for example, with hypertension and hyperlipidemia. You know, moving on to other heart patients, such as those with implantable fibrillators, I know that last year the FDA approved a system called the Latitude Patient Management System, where they use a wireless implantable defibrillator and an in-home monitor and a secure website so that docs can uh, access this data from anywhere. Do you know if there's any studies or outcome data proving that this uh, type of system leads to better care and lower costs? I think some of those studies are underway. Uh, intuitively, if a device is implanted and it needs to be monitored on, a, on an interim basis, even a pacemaker, uh, it makes sense to have it automated in some way or other. I mean, right now, if a patient has a pacemaker, they're supposed to go to the telephone once a month, place the telephone up against the pacemaker and transmit their data. So to me, that's an already uh, existing system which can be improved by having, you know, having no telephone involved, just a communication to a small receiver somewhere of a cell phone technology or other that would automatically transmit the data. The other thing that I think uh, I would like to see, for example, even with some of these others, is have the patient in the loop somewhere that even if it's a device, that they get the feedback as well as the physician getting some feedback uh, on the status of the device and so on so that the patient, again, is engaged in the care and the understanding of what the device is and what it's supposed to be doing. I'd like to move a little east from Philadelphia. I know recently there, the first meeting of the telemedicine task force for sub-Saharan Africa was held last summer in Brussels. And I'm wondering what impact you see in poverty-stricken populations. If, if we were to build necessary infrastructure, do you think that this would help the rest of the world? From my perspective, one of the advantages is that they can connect into experts around the world. With a little bit of help and a little bit of monitoring, it can make a huge difference. So, yes, I think that it can make a big difference in bringing more expertise and uh, connecting people to some of the medical uh, environment. Gentlemen, what's next for the two of you in the field of telemedicine? Well, the you know technology moves very quickly, and uh, we've we've seen um, the internet being now delivered to uh, telephones and uh, PDAs and other small devices that are in people's pockets at this point. So, 
I think uh, as time goes on, uh, patients engaged in, in health care with chronic disease, I think, are going to be able to connect through cell phone technology or other small portable technology so that they basically can report information from wherever they are and uh, in whatever situation they're in so that they, they, they will have full access using uh, portable devices. Dr. Santamore, any last thoughts? What I also see is a little more expansion of the intelligence in the telemedicine system so that the patient becomes more engaged and has more information available, even a little artificial intelligence in the system, and less demands on the uh, physician so that the the telemedicine itself can uh, direct many of the initial responses for the patient. Well, I'd like to thank our guests for coming on the show today, Dr. Alfred Beauvais and Dr. Bill Santamore. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. This is Dr. Alfred Beauvais, and I would like to state that the opinions you've heard are my personal opinions and not those of the American College of Cardiology.